Fear is so prevalent in our culture is because of the affluence that we all live in the midst of. Even the person here who has is the least affluent. You have so much ability to control so many things. You have climate controlling in your car and in your house. You get to choose if you want to be on a firm mattress or a soft mattress. You're like, I wear jeans, I wear khakis, I wear open-toed shoes no matter what the weather. When God tells us in His Word that we should not fear, it seems impossible, right? God knows that there's nothing in our control, and once we know that, we can accept that we've found His favor. He'll work through our lives if we let Him. Today, Pastor Daniel will challenge us to acknowledge that it's our own fear holding us back. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verse 26, with part one of his message entitled, A Crisis Pregnancy. You would think that when God decides that he is going to become part of his own creation, you would think that God would work out every detail. You think about the fanfare of a popular movie star or, or uh, athlete with all the fanfare to which their children come into the world. But then there's when God sends Jesus and everything is the complete opposite. We looked at Joseph, the man who had raised Jesus as his own son, knowing that he wasn't his own son. And we looked at the circumstances of how this played for Joseph, what we learned, and we we were exhorted last week to find our Joseph stories, those circumstances where God is asking us to do something that we don't even understand, but we're willing to be obedient to him. We're going to focus on Mary, Jesus' mother. And we're going to focus on, just as last week we focused on Jesus being the divine foster child, as you could characterize it. This week we're going to focus on the fact that Jesus was a crisis pregnancy. Jesus was a crisis pregnancy. So open up in your Bibles to Luke Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. We're going to be picking up in verse 26. And because this is called a crisis pregnancy, I have six points, and the first point to C, and then the second point to P, and C, P, C, P for crisis pregnancy. I don't really try and do that stuff, but when it happens, I'm like, cool. It makes it easy packaging. So one's going to be about the circumstances. All the C's are going to be about the circumstances, and all the P's are going to be about God's promises. So, and the application that I want to put out there in front, because as we're looking at Mary's life, and these circumstances, how it plays for Mary, there's a situation, there's a circumstance, and then, go, and then but God. And for each one of them, you have a circumstance, and you have a but God. And so for you, and for me, I want us to be able to grab our circumstances and say, okay, this is my circumstance, this is my C point. What's my P point? What's, what promise or what aspect of who the person of God is speaks in 
to the circumstances that I'm confused by. Does that make sense? And I believe that that's one of the ways that faith is activated in our lives, is because our circumstances are so real. They're ours. They're our lives that they, they have a tendency to erupt and take over. But in all of our circumstances, no matter how confusing they may be, then there's the person of God, the but God. And oftentimes, as Christians, we should know better to say, oh yeah, these are my circumstances, but God. And so, but I'm sure that for many of us this, this morning, I don't know what the, the cold weather brought to you this morning, but some people, there's all these circumstances, there's all these situations. You're like, I don't know how this is going to work. I don't know how I'm going to make it through this, but God, brother, but God, sister. We need to speak the personality of God into our circumstances because he's already there. Oftentimes, we're just not cognizant of it. And we're going to see how this plays in the life of Mary. So look at Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. It says this, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Verse 30, then the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. So this begins with a concerning greeting, a concerning greeting. You notice that at toward the end of these verses, it says that Mary, when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. So Mary's troubled. She's concerned by what she's hearing. And, and let's be honest, if an angel showed up and talked to you, that'd probably be pretty disconcerting as well, no matter what the angel says, right? It's, it's not every day that an angel shows up and starts talking your ear off. And so you can imagine, no matter what the angel is saying, you're going to probably, if that happened to you, you're going to be a little concerned about what manner of greeting this is. It's not something that happens every day. But notice there's all these setup. There's all these details. It begins within the sixth month. The sixth month of what? Don't forget we dropped in at Luke chapter 1, verse 26. So there was 25 verses before that. And what we found is that the angel Gabriel had shown up to a man named Zechariah, whose wife Elizabeth, who had been barren all these years. And, and God promised that Zechariah and Elizabeth were going to have a son. His name was going to be John. And he was going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. Now in the sixth month. So it's the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. So Elizabeth is in her second, almost third trimester. And then the angel Gabriel is sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. So now we get that God sends this angel named Gabriel to the area of Galilee. So Galilee was a region and Nazareth was a town. So it'd be like saying, we are in Clark County, the city of Vancouver, or actually technically we're outside the city limits, but we'll leave that on side. So Galilee was the region, Nazareth is the town, okay? So God sends this angel to Galilee, 
a city named Nazareth, and to a virgin betrothed to a man, verse 27, whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, the virgin's name was Mary. Now, this all ties in with what we saw last week, doesn't it? That we find that, again, Mary was betrothed. This virgin was betrothed to a man named Joseph of the tribe of David. Now, we made the point that in Jesus' culture, a wedding ceremony had three main components. First, there was the arrangement of the marriage, which happened by the parents normally when the children were little. Then there was the betrothal period, which they were legally married, but they hadn't consummated the marriage yet. It would be the equivalent of our engagement, except for, imagine if when you got engaged, you were actually legally married. Okay? It was that time when they were, they were all grown up. It was time for them to get married. They became betrothed, which was a legal marriage. But the husband would go back to his father's house. He would build the house that they're going to live in. He would establish a trade. And when that's all done, there'd be the big wedding party, the wedding celebration. So we find that this woman, Mary, is a virgin. So she's never known a man. She is legally married to Joseph, but they haven't consummated the relationship yet, right? And we find out that Joseph was of the lineage of David, and we talked about that last week, but all of this is important, and we're going to see why. So she's a virgin, she's legally married, and her husband is of the tribe of David. Now, look at what happens next. In verse 28... We find that, and having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you amongst women. Now, if you're reading the King James Bible, this would say, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Now, I'm bringing that up because for those of you who grew up with a Catholic background, you may have heard that before. If you've ever heard or heard someone pray the Hail Mary prayer, that's how it goes. Hail Mary, full of grace, The Lord is with you. Blessed are you amongst women. That's the first stanza of the prayer. I want to bring that out because we need to talk about some of that. But in verse 28, that's where it comes from. One of the translations of this. The idea of highly favored one. It could also be translated full of grace. That's what highly favored means. Favored is the word for grace. Right? It says, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you amongst women. So, Before we get into the theology of who Mary is and how she works, think about what the angel just says to this woman. Rejoice, you're highly favored, you're blessed among women, and the Lord is with you. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? The angel's saying, Mary, rejoice. You have found favor with God. God is with you, and you are blessed amongst women. That's an amazing greeting. That's a beautiful greeting. But yet, Mary struggles because she's talking to an angel. And she doesn't know what's going on. But notice what the angel says to her in verse 30. Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Now, I know that the angel Gabriel is talking to Mary, but I think some of you need to underline that in your Bible. Or, if you don't like to underline your Bible, maybe you should underline it in your neighbor's Bible. (laughs) Do not be afraid, Because you have found favor with God. We live in a culture that's racked with fear. And I think the reason fear is so prevalent in our culture is because of the affluence that we all live in the midst of. Even the person here who is the least affluent, you have so much ability to control so many things. You have climate controlling in your car and in your house. You get to choose if you want to be on a 
firm mattress or a soft mattress. You're like, I wear jeans, I wear khakis, I wear open-toed shoes no matter what the weather. See, we have access because of our affluence to so much, many decisions. And if you go to a coffee shop, you're like, I will have a non-fat latte with no foam, with three and a half pumps of cinnamon. And, you know, you get, you get to craft this whole thing however you like it. And then for the things in our lives that we don't have control over, we're totally freaked out because we're so used to having control over everything. And what we can't control is where our faith needs to reside. And so I think for many of us, there are circumstances where what the angel Gabriel says to Mary, he is also saying, and God is saying to you and I today, the simple reality that we should not be afraid because we have found favor with God. Now, I know that you have found favor with God, and I know that I've found favor with God because I've put my faith and trust in Jesus, and so have you. That, that favor, that's the word grace. You have found grace with God. And that finding of grace is simply the receiving of the free gift of God in Jesus. The receiving of the forgiveness of our sins. The receiving of the Holy Spirit who indwells us and changes us from within and works throughout and through our lives. Do you believe that if you're here today, that you're born again, do you believe that you found favor with God? You have nothing to be afraid of. Now, I realize that's a It's a nice statement. It looks great in a picture with a nice mountain scene. And, but when the rubber meets the road at street level, it's not as easy. But maybe it should be. Maybe in the moments when things are out of control, the simple awareness to say, I have nothing to be afraid of. I found favor with God because of Jesus. No matter how this goes, it's going to be the right way because God knows what he's doing. The angel encourages her, even though the greeting is concerning. Now, look at what happens next in verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. So first you have a concerning greeting. Now you have a promise of hope. When concerning things happen, God brings a promise. And for Mary, it's a promise of hope. Now, I'll be honest with you. As a pastor, I would love just to take these couple verses and do a whole study on it. Like take 45 minutes and just go through each of these points. But you know, I can't, I mean, I can do that, but we love our kids ministry workers and we love you all. And we know there's another service coming. So I, I, I'm going to hit these things really quickly, but check out this amazing promise, this promise of hope. Look at what it says. It says, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. So it begins with the promise of a child. It begins with a child. But now check out this child. This is not any ordinary child. Look what it says. It says, he will be great. That speaks of unqualified greatness. The child that Mary's to have, he will be great and will be called the son of the highest. Not only unqualified greatness, but now divine sonship. He's going to be called the son of the most high God. Divine sonship. Then from there, look at what it says. 
It says, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. This is the Messiah. This is the promise, the hope of Israel right here. This young child who is going to be given to Mary is going to be the Messiah. He's going to sit on the throne of his father, David. That's why the Bible makes so many important points about genealogies. You ever wonder why all those genealogies are in your Bible? You know, those lists of names? They're in there for a lot of reasons, but maybe the most important reason for us today is to realize that God has made promises to Abraham and to David, and God's saying, look, I'm going to keep all these family trees so that you'll all know that Jesus is the, is the promised one who fulfills all of these things. It's one of the main reasons the genealogies are in there. Because God cares about people. And God wants us to say, listen, Jesus is not some pie-in-the-sky mythological figure. This was all very well planned, and God gave us all the proper information. Do you think whoever compiled the first five books realized how important all those lists of names were? Do you realize whoever wrote all the different genealogies along the way for whatever reason, do you think they even realized that where this thing was going to end up? Because the last two genealogies you have in your Bible are in the Gospels. And they point us right to Jesus. It's amazing. When you get to those lists of names, just be like, oh, yeah, these are awesome. And if you're ever looking for kids' names, it's way to go. Way to go. It's really good. But Jesus is the Messiah. We talked about this last week, 2 Samuel 7, the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. So notice, you have this child, unqualified greatness, divine sonship. You have the promise of the Messiah. And then verse 33, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And this speaks of the eternal reign of Jesus. That not only will he be the Messiah over the house of David, but his kingdom will have no end. And brothers, sisters, I'll be straight up honest with you. That is why I believe in Jesus. That's why. Because if Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords over every kingdom, then I am more than happy to jump on his bandwagon. Because being on the opposing party to the guy who's the King of kings, whose kingdom has no end, just makes no sense at all. It doesn't make, and I have no problem saying it's like, if Jesus didn't have an eternal reign, then why follow him? If Satan were going to have an eternal reign, then we should follow him. If a president or a, a political figure were to have an eternal reign, then follow them. Absolutely. If you know that the victor, who that is before the, the battle happens, then you join that team. Because nobody wants to be mopped up on the losing team. And I'm here to tell you, because, and I realize how this rolls, and I've talked about this here at Crossroads before. For some of you, you've been spending so much time on the opposite team that you feel like, oh, man, if I come to Jesus, what are people going to say? Oh, you're jumping the bandwagon? Absolutely, you're jumping the bandwagon. It's smart to be on that bandwagon. It makes sense to be on that bandwagon because Jesus' reign is eternal. His kingdom has no end. And if you have not bowed your knee in your heart to Jesus and say, look, you're the king and I am not, and I may like some other things, but you're the king. If you don't bow that knee, that's just flat out not smart. If you go into the garage and, and there's a thing that says, listen, um, death will happen if you drink this. If you drink it, is that smart? No. And if you were to try and drink it, someone see you, they, 
they would be right to give you a whop on the head and be like, come on, use your brain. And I'm here to tell you, whop, use your brain. And I mean it in all love and sincerity, like use your brain. If he has an eternal reign, if he's the divine son, if he's the promised Messiah and he has unqualified greatness, then you want to follow that guy because nobody else in the history of humanity has ever had that said about him. Not by other people, not by angels, not by the people who followed him. It's the only logical position. So because there's a concerning greeting, then there's this promise of hope. Now look at what happens in verse 34. It says, then Mary said to the angel, how can this be? Since I don't know a man. And the angel said, answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was barren. So now we see that this is a crisis pregnancy. There's our next C. It's a crisis pregnancy. Mary hears this promise about a son, and she says, how can this be? I've never known a man. I've never had sexual intercourse with a man before. How, how is this possible? And remember, we've been talking about this. She's betrothed to Joseph. It's never been consummated. She's called a virgin in Matthew's gospel and in Luke's gospel. Now, I want to I deal with the elephant in the room first. Okay. Some people say that I can't believe the Bible because I do not believe it's possible to have a virgin birth, right? I'm sure there's some of you here, you're saying to yourself, no way. I, how could I believe in a virgin birth? Now, I'm here to tell you that the reason you can't believe it is because you don't want to believe it because we could do it right now. Not us, not in that way. But this is scientifically plausible. Let me explain to you how. There's something called in vitro fertilization. You can take an egg out of a woman. You can take a sperm out of a man. They never have to be joined in the physical oneness that comes from the love between a man and a woman through the guise of marriage. You go stick them in a Petri dish at the right temperature, and then you can insert that into a woman. She never has to know a man. She can be pregnant. And if science can figure out how to do it with a Petri dish and some microscopes, then I'm sure that God who created them could do it without them. Make sense? Those of you who like apologetics, you like that one. You're like, I'm going to remember that. That's real good, Fusco. I'm going to write that one down. It's true, though. If we believe that science can do it with a Petri dish and some microscopes, then why can God do it without all those things? See, all of our issues with the miracles of the Bible are not real issues. They're just, we just don't want to have to believe in it. It's like people say, I don't believe in the parting of the Red Sea. Who can believe that the, that the walls were like walls of water beside them? How's that possible? I go to an aquarium. How many of you got to an aquarium? You look around, there's sharks and there's jellyfish. You're like, whoa, and you're not getting eaten for lunch. And if we could figure out how to do it with technologies like dams and things, then if we can figure out how to do it with all bricks and mortar, then why can't God figure out how to do it without all those things? He's God. See, all of our issues with the miracles, we can figure out how to do most. Now, of course, those of you who are discerning skeptics, like, what about the sun going back on the sundial? And only God can do that. We can't figure out how to do that one. Jesus is real. As you're listening to Jesus is Real Radio, most people just assume that everybody who listens are followers of Jesus. But I realize that right now, there are a number of you who've never committed your life to Jesus, who've never embraced in your heart 
and in your mind the fact that Jesus is real, that he really is God, that he really lived a perfect life, that he really died on the cross for your sins, that he really rose again because death couldn't hold him, that he really ascended into heaven to sit down at the right hand of the Father, and that he really poured out his Holy Spirit to indwell anyone who would believe. And I believe that there are some of you right now listening to my voice who today is the day that you are going to say yes to Jesus, even right now, because now is the acceptable hour. Today is the day of salvation. And listen, you might not have another opportunity to say yes to Jesus. This moment is sacred. And I believe that you need to simply respond to Jesus by saying, I believe in Jesus. I receive your forgiveness, God. I receive your pardon for my mistakes. And God, I want to be part of your family. God has set a place at the family table and he's put your name on it. And he is waiting for you simply just to take your seat as part of his family. Jesus is inviting you because he's real. Simply respond to him right now, right where you are.